0: It's very nice just and meditate, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's just just remembering there's this basic uh, sanity, clarity, freshness that you can return to, and you don't have to go anywhere for it. We're such a gift to ourselves if we only knew it, and. Uh, And if we could share that gift, you know, if we could just listen to each other with that same, just, you know, don't carry old impressions, don't carry old impressions, don't carry expectations, don't carry demands, don't carry, just every time you just start fresh, breathe somebody in and breathe them out. Mm -hmm. And uh, let yourself be breathed in and out. And... uh, as in in your uprightness, training oneself. Anyway, um, we had a questions and answers session today. Yeah, topics, a few general topics. Um, Start, someone, how to manage inconvenient feelings of attraction towards somebody. Having a crush on someone I shouldn't be crushing on. (laughs) Well, Just, uh, who should you be crushing on? (laughs) Indeed. Um, Yeah. Uh, um, Some, perhaps, link to that. We have uh, questions on um, reacting impulsively towards sexual desire and hatred. Not quite sure exactly what that means, whether reacting in accordance with them, that is, you're acting upon them. You find yourself... Plummeting, or, or getting moved by sexual desire, or aversion, or whether you're reacting to them. But we'll try to cover these topics. Two topics is obviously very linked. Yeah, well, desire and aversion. Sexual desire, very primary um, feature in, in nature and human beings. Um, they just remembering that this involuntary response that arises, a kind of heating, a heating up and a pulling. Uh, the citta heats up, heats the body up, the pulling into the object of desire. With the fundamental assumption that once one unites with the object of desire, then there'll be a gratification, Release something beautiful occur, and um, yeah, maybe, (laughs) Uh, but uh, probably not for very long, if it does occur. So you you don't know that, but that's the that's the expectation or the fundamental or the trigger. Trigger sets up that particular paradigm, but it's only a trigger. Remember. Uh, It's not really the person. So you just start to see, well, what is it that is an attractive shape? Probably it's just a a mixture of bodily shape, uh, what it suggests, strength, or beauty, or comfort, or uh, these signs. Those are signs in your own citta it's projecting out basically human bodies you know, like, you've seen one more or less, have you, well, seen two, you've certainly seen them all <laughs> one male, one female that's the basic design model <laughs> and uh, you know, it's that's what it is, it's it's uh, it's kind of, I mean, I don't want to be completely negative, but it's bony and lumpy and um, skin and flesh, and uh, you know, you, what can you get out of it really? Um, but on a kind of very uh, bodily level, there's a kind of um, a heating up that occurs at the point of meeting and joining. Everything's so aroused, and in that arousal, of the mind is, is uh, overwhelmed. Well, actually, what are you looking for? What is it looking for? Now, it's not easy to be rational with sexual desire because it generally poo-poos rationality, just like a bullet just rushes through. So you pull it back, say, let's see, what are you looking for? And where do you see it? And you realise actually what your what your jitta is angling on it is really a, an amalgam of certain suggestions. Comfort, power strength excitement feeling warmed and maybe it's psychological feeling appreciated feeling love being cuddled you know that sense of intimacy and uh, the relaxation and the happiness that can come from that but it doesn't mean this person is going to provide it (laughs) you know that's what's on the label but it's not necessarily what's in the can (laughs) And even if it was in the can, then how long does it last? Then you've got to do it again. And eventually it kind of wears out and you've got to find someone else or something else to get it going. So it's a very unsatisfying experience. And yet it also becomes addictive. Because you, you get hooked on that, like a drug, get hooked on that flush and that rush and you want some more and then it co- you get come down you want another one so like anything else these addictions you've got to be a bit firm and hold back on it and why why bother yeah is it so bad no it's not so bad it can be very bad of course because you get jealousy you get adultery you get cheating you get abuse you get all kinds of nasty stuff goes along with that frustration uh She's not what I really wanted. He doesn't do it for me anymore. All this kind of stuff goes on. It's constant, you know, there are columns in newspapers dealing with people's sexual problems. So it's by no means a faultless joyride. But, you know, you think, well, maybe this one would. (laughs) (laughs) So I just start to reflect, well, what does that do to your mind? You know, what do your chitta feel like in that state, generally hungry, heated, wanting, pushing towards you. Look at that. Do you want to be with that? that? Is that comfortable? It's generally uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable with a sense, I will be made comfortable by the other thing. So we're taking a state of discomfort, the tension and the hunger of the citta, and imagining that comfort will arise. Actually, if you act upon that, you're basically firming up the basis for discomfort. If you're feeling that sense of inadequacy and discomfort and craving, and you act upon that, well, doesn't that mean that you've in some ways empowered that sense? You've validated it. You said, yes, I will act upon you. Isn't that right? You know, if you follow the signal, you've in some way validated that signal as being worth following. Therefore, you're just have to go through it again and again. And you keep returning to that state. So it really is putting yourself into bondage. Um, so what's the other person? What do you become? What are you looking for? How does it affect you? And these, go, these qualities go very deep because they really are around pleasure, pain. They're around the sense of isolation and feeling warm and mutual with each other, which is agreeable. We like that. Isolation, we feel lonely, alone, cold, fed up. You know, I have to do it all myself. These are very powerful um, experiences for people. Um, you know, it can be very depressing life on your own. And of course, that push, that pull towards the pleasant, agreeable, shared, you know, where I am no longer kind of on my own, left myself. Yeah, but you are in some respect, because as soon as the person leaves, then you haven't actually resolved the problem, you've mollified it. You've tranquilized it. You haven't actually resolved the problem. Problem of sense of separation, lack of comfort, hatred. In some ways, similar. You know, what is it that we dislike? Do you dislike the person? No, I just dislike the way he talks. Okay. Do you dislike everything he says? No, I dislike this particular way he has of always interrupting. So you just get down to particular it's not a person's particular behaviours that jar okay, against my sense is it possible that everybody in the world is going to fit into my sense and what do i what happens to me when i experience hatred what does my chitta feel like sour bitter sharp spiky fighting am i going to let other people do that to me Other people's behavior, which may not be agreeable, which may be actually improper. That's bad enough. But to get your own mind soured up by it, let's make it twice as bad. It's like the Buddha said, you know, if, if robbers tie you down and saw your legs off with a saw, if you feel hatred towards them, you haven't really been following the instructions. Sounds a bit tough, but it's a metaphor. This is bad enough getting your legs sawed off. That's bad enough. But it's even worse to have that happening and have your mind all on fire with ha- hatred and aversion. So could we let it go? And these both these signs, the unpleasant and the pleasant wish to merge with the pleasant and to push away the unpleasant, are the boundaries of the chitta. I want to include that within. I want to keep that out. There's a boundary there. Now, when we cultivate things like brahmavihara, you widen the boundary. So, I want you. I want you inside my boundary. I want you as mine. I don't want you on my planet. Right? Get out of my life. Don't ever exist again. Yeah, my boundary something can be done to that boundary because when the sense of owning is relinquished there's just the boundary of awareness this is the unpleasant this is the pleasant this is the fascinating this is repulsive when there's no clinging to the center to being the owner of these impressions to being the one who is impinged upon then these phenomena pass through the jitter is no longer activated by it it doesn't take birth in them it doesn't get fascinated by them it doesn't establish a ground upon them they they don't arise or they arise less often that's that's the big picture that's the big process that we're creeping along in probably as best we can over years but that is the possibility the only way, actually, that we can ever find a sense of satisfaction. So this is vihara and it's also a beautiful thing to do to your own body, because if you sit in the quality of loving kindness and you just feel there's an energy to it, which is very bright and open, you can't be contracted and depressed. You can't be, well, you know, give him a little bit of meta and give her some metta and well, I suppose he so could have some compassion. Yeah, maybe a little bit more, but not too much. You know, <laughs> it doesn't deserve it. You, you, you just, and the body opens up and that's extremely refreshing, extremely refreshing and and uh, enjoyable, which is what we're here for. We're here to have a good time. This is the best way to do it. Now, most of us, you know, as we're working towards these things, antidotes, general antidotes are to keep the sense of devotion, which keeps the heart open. Brahma keeps the heart bright. Brahma towards yourself, towards a snail, towards people you like, towards people you can just about tolerate. You know, just keep pushing it, pushing those boundaries until it becomes very firm, until you can actually dwell in the sign itself, in the mood itself, becomes like a, a territory that you can dwell in. Mm-hmm. It's called a vihara, because it is. It can be a place, a place you dwell in and feel good with, and you keep building those up. Then this tends to remove the hunger or the sourness or the edginess, which acts as the basis for sexual desire and ill will. So okay, you know we talked for how well, long? Ten minutes on that. Yeah, practice with it for ten years <laughs> or twenty. <laughs> yeah, these are, these are big things. In the meantime, yeah, it happens, doesn't it? You get crushes on people, you get fascinated by people, you get annoyed by this, that, and the other. <sighs> just uh, try to avoid following it, and uh, just notice what's happening. And practice the good that you can do, the restraint that you can do. Uh, if you get too bonded to sense any kind of sense base, then you're laying yourself open to these particular powerful energies, and they're very powerful. The Buddha said there's another energy like sexual desire. If there's one more like this, you could never get enlightened. It's that powerful. Mm. So if you've managed to harness that You'll do yourself an enormous amount of good. You'll feel really good. You'll have no sense of all the upheavals that sexuality causes. And you'll have definitely made enormous um, shift towards liberation. Otherwise, the Buddha wouldn't have been celibate otherwise, for sure. You know, clearly there's all kinds of personal issues one needs to look at in that, in terms of you know, with people and partners and so forth. But I can't go any further into that right now. Just take what I've said, think about it, and um, hope it's of some use. Because I have to move on a little. And boredom and drowsiness, boredom leading to drowsiness or total distraction. <laughs> well, we do need to keep freshening up, and it's likely this person recomm- has been doing. You know, an hour-long sitting, which is commendable. But sitting, the, the drawback, well, you can get stagnant. You know, you sit there and uh, boo. Uh, so often walking helps, standing helps, chanting helps a lot. You know, you don't realize what a big feature chanting is in traditional Buddhism. You know? And generally in Indian, Asian culture... It's, and, of course, in Christian culture, too, you know, and it's not there for decoration. It's a sense which just lifts, rises everything up. Now, it's great when you do it in a group, of course. What does it do? It's this sense of which a certain quality called sata uh, is aroused, the faith, or uh, there is a possible, there is a beautiful one rises, and there's a there's a somatic effect to that. You do feel yourself lift with devotion and aspiration. Most spiritual practices have a god in them, <laughs> you know. So most practices, like Jesus or Krishna or Quan Yin or something, of course, that does give you something to sort of oh, you know, to rise up to. Of course, in straight Theravada, you don't have anything theistic, but you do have Buddha. So you can even, you know, it kind of seems, when you're coming from the kind of, past the tradition, then it's, this is kind of strange. But trying to rise to that which you sense is beautiful and have a shrine or a sense of sacred does help to keep lifting things up terms of heart freshen up and the other basis is to work on the bodily basis often with um, boredom drowsiness it just your bodily energy is stale so it's to stand up do some walking you know and why I, often in retreats i do qigong sessions with people just because it's you know it's the nature of um, the body the energies go kind of stale and then this becomes psychological, what was actually somatic, a lack of refreshment, a stagnant state becomes psychologized into I'm bored, I'm fed up. It means essentially the bright energy is not present. So you need to get it present. Um, so there's bodily energy. Mental energy arises through investigation. So you can bring energy to a practice by investigating. What is it? You know, but with boredom, sometimes you're too bored to investigate it. <laughs> it's not interesting. <laughs> but you might notice what's happening in your body, and then perhaps start to use yeah. stand. Because sometimes when you drowse, you think, "Oh, I'm just um, I'll get through it. Yeah, I'll be all right." Just you don't feel like doing very much but you say, well you could stand up, couldn't you? Yeah, I suppose so, stand up. You could open your eyes, couldn't you? Yeah. You could move your head, couldn't you? Yeah. Take a few breaths. Mm-hmm. The most important breath is the out-breath. <sighs> Cleaning out. really long full out breath let the inhalation come then you freshen up being with friends Kalyanamitta also helps to keep your practice alive in terms of investigation and inquiry okay let's have a look I have a few more here questions about the deathless (laughs) <laughs> from the mundane to the <laughs> supramundane. How does one turn towards the deathless? Through the purification of the citta, can then one realize the unconditioned, through the conditioned nature of chitta. This is a, a phrase that occurs several times in the suttas. It says, he reviews, or one reviews the aggregates thus. As one reviews feeling, form, perception, mental activations, consciousness. One reviews them. This is wearisome, this is a burden, this is a hassle, this is agitation, and so forth. You begin to see something is nipita, means it's disillusioned, disenchanted with more feeling, more form, more mental activity. You just see, they just come and go. Nope, and they don't arrive anywhere. Um, so therefore, one is no longer fascinated by it. So the turning is more like a, a turning of intention. One is no longer looking for. You know, so the chitta then turns its intention. You now, see, turning sounds physical, like you actually, but it's. I don't think it's a turning it's like a adjusts its taste it, it returns to this deathless property now what is that you might say <laughs> <laughs> and of course you now we can create another word unconditioned nirvana but what's the experience that we're referring to well indeed um, still, uh, peaceful, absence of content, no stress, restful, intimate, you could say, no time. There's lots of things you can say aren't there. Uh, personal story, personal boundary, future, past, no, not there. And that's uh, probably uh, as accurate. Um, now, can one realize the unconditioned through the conditioned nature of jitta? yes to a degree yes i mean what else you're going to go through you have to work you've got a condition jitta and through its skillful cultivations, it begins to uncondition itself as it begins to drop certain primary conditions such as owning such as boundary, such as having a center such as having continuity i will be what will happen next i've got to get on to the next thing If I get this, will I get that? Um, Having been this, what will I be next? This time sense, that is to be relinquished. And so in the relinquishment of these conditions and and the fostering of the conditioned supports that will make that possible, such as mindfulness, such as energy, such as wisdom, discernment, then it becomes possible to do that. Now the results... Um, one would say, well, yeah, you experience results in terms of condition, that is, the condition of hatred does not arise. The condition of um, dis- sadness does not arise. The condition of um, passion does not arise. What doesn't arise? So, you know, defilement does not arise. Um, projection onto other people, like I want this from her. Uh, um, this thing will make me happy. That doesn't arise. So in those ways, the absence of certain significant conditioning factors is a is a, a sign that the jitta has dropped its some of its conditioned or increasing number or increasing amount or increasing degree of its conditioned fetters uh, these are so you yeah, know that's another longish story the ten fetters I don't want to go into all that right now but it's to do with first of all <laughs> very simply having said I'm not going to go into it now I'm going to go into it <laughs> the personal the personality with his narratives and I will be this and I'm like that what's that all about it's just an ongoing Babble uh, conversation. Enough of that conversation. Finish that conversation. Not interested in that conversation anymore. Right. Stream, there's a stream intro. Mm-hmm. And then no longer, I've talked about the boundary of pleasure pleasure and pain, how it wants to get around pleasure and push away pain, that boundary dropping away. So it's to do with hedonic or emotional or um, restrictions. And then uh, that dropping away to a lesser and greater degree, and then even the sense of being something—the arahant is no, not locatable in place, in space, or in time. Okay. Yeah, these may sound abstract, but until you've until you've experienced them, they are abstract. But those are reported upon, recognised marks of the traceless the absence what's absent to turn towards that means that constant shifting away from those fetters away from that fascination obsession with me 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 my story my this that and the other you know we've either dealt with it or we're no longer interested in it Yeah, obsession with getting my space and getting my way and keeping her him out of it. This and that out of it. Turning away from those kind of inclinations and the ability to do so. So the more the jitta can relinquish those, as it, because they're not actually, they're its own inclinations. It's not like there's a world out there that's designed to annoy me. <laughs> I mean, possibly, it seems like that on a bad day. There's no, there's no people out there who have been set up to annoy you. There's just your, your irritability that needs to be dealt with. It's your own jitters, intentions or unconscious reflexes that need to be dismantled. When they're dismantled, there's no world that's going to annoy you or fascinate you. So they're turning that way. Um, so essentially the ending of the turmoil and the stress. Another question, I mean these may be things you'd like to ponder, but someone's asking a question about, hmm. sometimes we hear descriptions of phenomena arising out of the deathless and returning into the deathless. This makes Nibbana sound like a ground of being, a ground of being, person writes that in, in in quote marks as a phrase, ground of being. Are there passages in the canon to support this? Yeah, well, you know, you can find all kinds of cryptic, poetic, figurative, imaginative, metaphorical uh, language in the canon, and uh, that you could you know hang any number of views on, really. It depends how you use the words and how the Buddha was using the words. So he says, Well Nibbana you can call it the island. Oh, it's definitely a place then. An island you cannot go beyond. I call it Nibbana. Oh, there's a particular place I can go to. Well, I oh, think he's just using words to say there's definitely something you can, where you feel safe. Uh, is that a place? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the use of language. Uh, and phenomena arising out of the deathless and returning to the deathless. I don't see that, that phrase ever being used in the canon, um, because, uh, well, um, certainly returning. I mean, what is it that gets the phenomenon to arise in the first place? must be some kind of propellant um, craving or wishing or inclination to get phenomena phenomenon to well up. And um, certainly, phenomena can be seen as arising and passing, or, or forming and fading, taking form and breaking up. So this may be just another figurative expression. Phenomena do crystallize. You know, if you um, "Where does a thought come from?" It sort of starts to crystallize very quickly, and then it, it can also evaporate. And there's a certain space that one experiences in the evaporation. Or the waning of, of um, a thought or an emotion. Now, whether this is the deathless element or a deathless property or a, 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 like a glimpse of the deathless, uh, it's not the complete thing, but it may be just a little flash, you get some flash into it, you could, you could follow that up. Um, you know, as long as there are phenomena arising. That's not the deathless. <laughs> you know, the deathless phenomena don't arise. So, you know, how did the Buddha, having realized Nibbana, how did he come out of it again? <laughs> That's a good question, right? If he's in a state where everything has kind of ceased, what gets him out of it? So, it seems to be the case that he'd already set up a, a determination or there's a previous determination that brings phenomena back. But I don't think this is this not the, the arising and passing. Something much more deliberate, and uh, not not just stuff happening. a definite definite turning uh, of the citta in some way. So, ground of being. I don't think you're going to find that phrase or anything that backs that up. In metaphorical terms, you could find it things like the island, the safe place, the refuge. Um, These are poetic um, expressions that give people a feeling of, yes, it's definitely, It's definitely not an idea. It's definitely an experience that one can dwell in. But uh, I think the nature of the question seems to look for a state of, permanent being that is not what the canon is referring to. Okay so we have a little more time. I mean these are topics one can interestingly kick around and pick up pieces of this somebody said that and he said that and it says this in the book and you can go on around it and there's a certain point in which you think yeah, well, I think I'll just go back to breathing in and out and <laughs> take, trust the process will get me there in its own time because you can speculate about the inconceivable until the cows come home and you won't be any wiser. <laughs> um, so, questioner asks, refers to these phrases internally and externally. Uh Ajata, Pahidha, Pani words that are used in a number of situations and they are often translated as internally, externally sometimes translated as here and there they are rather fuzzy terms just like here and there are rather fuzzy and so people have tried to make that more definite by saying internally refers to yourself externally means other people Um, doesn't really work you know for example Satipatthana Sutta one contemplates the breath internally one contemplates it externally so it means you watch your own breath and you watch somebody else's breath I don't think so I've never noticed anybody contemplating somebody else's breathing never (laughs) I don't see this as a practice contemplating other people's breathing uh and particularly in this situation where it says you know you sit alone at the foot of a tree in a wilderness, there's nobody else to watch. Uh, so I don't think this refers to. It says you know contemplate the mind internally, externally, which just means you read your own mind. Then you contemplate somebody else's mind. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, can you really be sure? So uh, I don't think this simplistic breakdown as internal me ajata means myself. Bahida means somebody else, it doesn't seem to work. Uh, so what I've been reviewed this and my hypothesis, I'm not saying this is a final statement, but I'm, what I'm working on is internally is much more to do with subjective, externally objective. Now what I mean by that is I contemplate the breath objectively, like I'm breathing in and out. Breath is travelling from my belly up through my nose, my chest. And it's as if I am watching it. Right? And um, I am watching it and I can define it. So it seems to be external to my position. I am watching it. Internally, breathing is, is an experience of energies flushing through me. It seems to be inside me flushing through me. I contemplate my mind externally. Oh, I'm feeling really angry right now. This is anger. I'm angry because of this and that and the other. Those are external references. Internally, heating, tightening, passion moving through, fluctuations in the jitta, subjective experience. So that's what I'm suggesting as a, a model. So subjective means you're really in it, and it feels as if it's it's filling you. Objective, you're witnessing it, watching it, defining it. Then the person gives these recites the Buddha's instructions to Bahia when he says, When Bahia for you in the scene is merely what is seen, there will be neither here nor there nor in between the two. Neither ajata nor bahida. Um yeah. Because it's the fundamental features of both of these experiences, internal and external, is me. Internal, this is happening through me. I'm filled with this experience. Me, uh, I'm overwhelmed with delight or fear. External, this nasty stuff is sweeping over me. This unpleasant sense is happening to me. So it's externalised. It's the me sense is the is the common denominator. Now with that gone or that location dissolved, then those references and the energies that are they they represent are diffused. Things arise, move within awareness. What is conceived is just the conceived. There's no passion. There's no grabbing it. There's no resisting of it. And both of those are signs. We resist. We try to keep something we fear or dislike or feel overwhelmed when we try to keep it out. That's resistance. Uh, Fascination, we try to pull it in. With the ending of resistance and the ending of fascination is the ending of the boundary. Therefore, when there well, there's no boundary, there can be no internal and no external. I'd say this is the end of suffering. So just watch that boundary. And whatever you, However silly or passionate or convincing the mood is, resisting it, one thing, and trying to absorb it another thing if you let go of those energies the boundary dissolves this is an ending of stress ending of sense of self okay i have now completed these series of questions so somebody's patiently had their hand up in the room how to work with tightness in the chest and difficulty in breathing best thing I would suggest is to do some walking move around and move around and really letting your body flex and soften so you should walk as if you're swimming or strolling to really release these posture muscles Um, there are certain Fundamental signs, such as tightness, is generally either to do with uh, something like a fear or anxiety, so we restrict. So it's a quality associated with not wanting to be overwhelmed by external conditions, so we tighten up. This affects your breathing. Or frustration. I want to move and I can't. So this is more like an anger situation. So it's what's outside us, what's outside our boundaries affecting, and that becomes established. So we need to get a sense of the space around me is very open and warm and friendly. I can move around and it definitely helps the body to release. I wouldn't, if you're having difficulty breathing, I wouldn't focus on breathing. You need to focus on something you feel comfortable with. If it's just standing or walking, that's adequate. Um, don't focus on breathing because the focus itself will tend to intensify your difficulty so i focus on something that you feel comfortable with let your body relax until by itself you feel breathing don't go to the breathing let the breathing come to you at the appropriate time okay so thank you for your questions um uh, it's always good to, to ask these things, it uh, helps to keep us you know, investigating what one person's questions are in some ways. They really apply to all of us. You know, we experience the same human predicament. Sometimes they seem very embarrassing and personal, but it's, it's exactly the same for everyone in different situations. And so we always enlighten each other by, you know, Presenting our, our uh, inquiries, our problems, our uncertainties. Uh, it, it's a great blessing, Dhammakata. So, yeah. Hopefully, we can do this again at another time. So, just take that respectful moment's pause when you, you've heard a load of words. Five of them, ten of them, a few phrases have been helpful. Yeah. Remember, this will all be recorded and you can get it back again. Um, but particularly when you've just heard it, notice, did anything light up, shift, right now? This is the, They say if you literally listen to a Dhamma talk, the enlightenment factors are present whenever you listen to Dhamma. Mm. Did something arise for you? Let's take our time and uh, wish everyone well. Amazing that we can have this occasion of Dhamma still alive in the world. Take care.